Thank you, choir. Tell you what, that's one of those anthems that can get your blood flowing. Make you want to stand up and say amen. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel of Mark. In the 8th chapter, verses 31 to 38. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Gracious God, open our ears that we may hear your truth. Open our eyes that we may see your kingdom. And open our hearts and minds that we might know the cries of our brothers and sisters who are hurting and hungry and sometimes even dying without the knowledge of your love for them. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. Well, before we get too far into this, and before we get into this at all, I want to put the scripture that we just heard in context. A few weeks ago, on Transfiguration Sunday, we heard about Peter and James and John going with Jesus up to the top of the mountain where they experienced a mystical Situation in the transfiguration of Jesus as, as Jesus appeared or as Moses and Elijah appeared there on that mountaintop with Jesus and had conversation with them. Remember that scripture opened and seven days later. Well, that scripture is the one that immediately follows what we just heard. So we're about a week before the main event that occurred on that mountaintop. And so here we are with Peter. He's always doing it. He was always the one out in front of the, of the other disciples. He was always putting his foot in his mouth. Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? That was his question to the disciples one day. 
And the disciples answered that some people thought that he was John the baptizer or perhaps Elijah or one of the prophets. But Jesus said, enough of all this. Enough of what other people think. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And this time Peter spoke up. You are the Christ, he said. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. And Peter thought that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Now, Peter was part of the Jewish people who had been waiting God's Messiah for over a thousand years. The people's hopes were high. They expected great things from the Messiah. So most assuredly did Peter. And you can be sure that Peter was really tickled by his own confession. If Jesus was really the Messiah, there was a lot in it for Peter. According to Jewish expectations, the Messiah would come and destroy Israel's enemies. He would restore the kingdom of Israel. He would usher in a great era of peace. What a grand and glorious confession to be able to make, Peter must have thought to himself. You are the Messiah. I can hardly wait to see all the miraculous things that you're going to do for me. But immediately Jesus began to burst Peter's bubble. It's as if Jesus said to Peter, I'm a Messiah, all right, but I'm not the kind of Messiah that you've expected. I'm a Messiah who will suffer many things. I will be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. I will be killed, and after three days I will rise again. But Peter thought to himself, that can't be true. That's not what happens to God's Messiah. And so Peter began to rebuke Jesus, if you can believe it. Peter and Jesus had totally different views of what a Messiah should be. And Peter would tell Jesus a thing or two, but Jesus would not let that happen. And he spoke with authority to Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said to him, for you are not on the side of God, but on the side of men. Now, we're not told how Peter responded to Jesus' rebuke. We can probably be sure that he was perplexed. He didn't know what to think. He was so pleased that God's Messiah had come in his time and in his generation. And his mind was filled with all the wonderful things that that might mean for him. Peter's hopes for a Messiah were filled with dreams that Peter would be so much better off when the Messiah came. There was a lot in it for Peter if the Messiah came and touched his life. But that's where Peter had it wrong. The story in the gospel passage, in this gospel passage, scares me a little bit every time I read it. You see, Peter had everything backwards. He had connected the Messiah to his own hopes and dreams. And that's where Peter had it wrong. And that makes me wonder, because I hear all kinds of proclamations of the Christian faith today that emphasize exactly what Peter emphasized. They tell it or tell me what's in it for me. Now, if you've ever been involved in sales at any time, and believe it or not, I was a real estate agent at one point in my life, in one of the careers that I had at one point in in time, it was a part-time position, and that's pretty good that it was a part-time position because I was a lousy realtor. 
When I saw somebody that couldn't afford a doghouse, I told them, I would tell them that you can't afford a doghouse. You need to wait a little bit before you try to buy a house. That didn't go over too well with clients. So I didn't stay in the real estate business in sales for very long, but it helped me get a job when we moved to Chattanooga back in 1999 to, to assist my wife's mother as she was dealing with her cancers. It helped me get an office job as the director of the office at Coldwell Banker Prior Realty in Chattanooga back in the day. But if you were ever, if if you were ever in sales, you know or you've heard the phrase, with them, what's in it for me? And what's in it for me is give me the reason why I should care. What do I get out of this transaction? It changes everything into a transactional mode, transactional nature. So, uh, sort of a quid pro quo, if you And that's what I'm hearing in so many instances. If I believe in Jesus, they tell me, I will experience a renewed and powerful sense of my own selfhood. If I believe in Jesus, they tell me, all my physical ailments will leave instantly. If I believe in Jesus, they tell me, all my enemies will be destroyed. If I believe in Jesus, they tell me, my financial needs will be met. And if I make a, and if I make a point to give money to their ministries, I will discover that I prosper. I've heard all of these promises and many more. You have everything to gain and nothing to lose by becoming a Christian, they tell me. There are many, many voices telling me today what's in it for me if I become a Christian. But according to this passage in Mark's gospel, Jesus rejected this what's in it for me version of Christianity. Jesus rejected Peter's interpretation of the Messiah. And Jesus will reject any such notions of Christianity that dance in our wee little heads. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus said to Peter. Jesus was filled with fear at Peter's speech of rebuke. He might have identified Peter's zeal to protect him from suffering as the work of Satan. In Peter's words, Jesus had to do battle with Satan all over again. You see, Satan always wants us to be interested in what's in it for ourselves. That's how, how Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Command these stones to become loaves of bread, Satan tempted Jesus. Throw yourself down from the temple and watch angels bear you up. That was, sec that was Satan's second temptation. The third temptation was fall down and worship me and all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory shall be yours. In other words, Satan kept saying to Jesus, Jesus, look at what's in it for you. And Jesus resisted that temptation. Be gone, Satan, Jesus said. And Jesus remained obedient to God. Through Peter's words, however, that old voice of temptation came to Jesus again. You don't have to suffer, Jesus. Messiahs don't suffer. You can have it all, Jesus. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus replied, for you're not on the side of God, but on the side of men. And Jesus proceeded then to lay out his, his expectations for his followers. Followers, what's in it for me, Peter asked. And maybe we ask the same question. 
Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels, the good news, they'll find it. Jesus, the suffering Messiah, issues a call to suffering service. And that's what's in it for us. And now we're faced with a temptation similar to that which Jesus faced. We hear two voices. One voice promises that following Jesus will bring an end to our human suffering. One voice promises us a crossless version of the Christian faith where all of our needs are met now. The other voice, the voice of Jesus, calls us, us to take up the cross. The voice of Jesus calls us to a life of suffering for the sake of the gospel and for other people. And which voice will we heed? You know, we're tempted to think only of ourselves. We're tempted to follow the path that, that promises immediate rewards. What's in it for us? That always seems to be our primary question. Why, after all, should we agree to follow a suffering Messiah? We're surely tempted to put our own needs above everything else. But when we do that, when we put ourselves first, we deny the very ground of our creation. In the Bible's creation story, Eve was made for Adam because it was not good for Adam to be alone. Human life is intended to be lived in fellowship and community with other people. Jesus underscored this reality when he was asked about the great commandment of the law, which was love God and love your neighbor, Jesus said. On these two commandments depend upon all the law and the prophets. We are not created for ourselves. We are created for life with other people. And when we are tempted to put our own needs in first place in our lives, we sin against God and we sin against the structure of human life. To focus our lives around the question, what's in it for me, is to live the life of a sinner. Jesus calls out to sinners and bids us to repent, bids us to take up the cross, bids us, us to take up the needs of other people and make them the focus of our lives. The good news in this call is that Jesus has walked this way of life ahead of us. And that means that when we live lives for others, we never walk alone. When we focus our lives on other people, we follow in the path that Jesus walked. His suffering is the suffering that we enter. His pain is the pain that we endure. His cross is the cross we shall carry. His death is the death that we will die. And finally, triumphantly, His resurrection is the new life that we share with God for all eternity. Truly, it is said, it's in losing our lives in the service, in the service of others that we find ourselves. It's in losing our lives that we receive God's gift of eternal life. What's in it for me? That's our daily question about ourselves and the Christian faith. 
Some Christians seem willing to answer our question. Some Christians seem willing to offer us a version of Christianity that, that focuses primarily on our own gain. Some Christians offer us only gain with no loss. Some Christians offer us victory with no cross. We are tempted, as Jesus was tempted, to reach out for this crossless version of obedience to God's will. But we need to say to such a temptation what Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. God turns our question and our expectation of life upside down. God in Jesus Christ offers us personal victory through taking up our cross. And it's in taking up our cross, it's in taking up a symbol of death that we find life. It's in losing our lives for the sake of the gospel that we find our lives. It's in giving what we receive. It's in giving that we receive, excuse me. It's in losing that we win. It's in dying that we are born to eternal life. And so we take up our cross. We give our lives away as we walk the path of suffering with Jesus. And our lives are given back to us for all eternity. That, my friends, is what is in Christianity for you and for me. In the time of Jesus, it was traditional for rabbis, and Jesus was a rabbi, it was traditional for rabbis to have students, and it was most, mostly traditional for the students to seek out the rabbis. Jesus did it a little differently. Jesus sought out those that would be the closest to him. He sought out his own students, the 12 disciples. And there was, at that time, as they would learn from the rabbi, when they would learn from their teacher, they would spend time with him they would eat with him they'd sit around the fire and tell stories together they would he would teach they would listen and they would engage with the community around them and that we see the disciples doing that in the gospels but there was a there was a blessing that was common during that time frame a jewish blessing for disciples of the masters that encouraged the disciples to become covered in the master's dust. In other words, follow so closely that as your teacher walks along that you're covered in the dust kicked up by his sandals. I think it's a metaphor for what Lent should be for us. 
It's a time for us to draw so close to Jesus that we are covered in the dust of his sandals. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We invite you to visit our website at mcfarlandumc.org to learn more about our church and the ministries that we provide to the Rossville and East Lake communities around Chattanooga. May God's blessings be yours.